The last time we were together, we finished up 1 John chapter 1. Um, in those last five, in the last five, last five verses that we covered, uh, John is declaring to everyone reading this letter some fundamental truths that need to be understood. In verse 5, John lays out the foundation of this message. That is, God is light, and there's absolutely no darkness in him. In verses 6 and 7, John draws out the application from this truth about God, that we ought to walk in the light. And in verses 8 through 10, John clarifies possible misconceptions regarding what it means to walk in the light. That believers shouldn't claim to be perfect, and we ought to confess our sins. Now, as we start chapter 2, chapter 2 picks up where chapter 1 left off, but with some slight differences. You're going to see how rather than writing to the general reader, he now addresses his readers in a more direct and intimate way. Instead of using the first person plurals like we, our, and us in chapter 1, John now, John now begins to adopt the first person singular of you and I. The readers are also addressed as my dear children, reflecting something of a relationship that he has with his readers. Now the reason I point this out is because as we go through our passage, I want you to read John's words as though he was personally talking to you. In these verses he shares, he shares some of the obstacles that will hinder our spiritual maturity and how to avoid those obstacles. You see, if you want to enjoy a complete and satisfying fellowship with God, we must take an honest look at our own hearts and our own attitudes. So again, before we get into the word, let's ask the, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. We thank you that we can sit here and read your word and hear it and, and to be blessed by it, God. There's so many people around the world that don't have this opportunity, Lord, but you have blessed us with it. And we want to take full advantage of it, Lord. So we ask right now that you pour your Holy Spirit upon this place. May we just continue with this time of worship. Worshiping you through your word, Lord. Just open the hearts, the minds, the ears of everyone sitting here today, Lord. May we receive it with a loving, just a loving heart, Lord. If if it's if we're convicted by it, Lord, may we just repent of it, repent of our sins, and, and just ask for forgiveness, Lord. And be in this room now, Lord. Use me as an instrument, Lord. May I just not speak out of my own flesh, out of my own knowledge and wisdom, but just use me, Lord, as a vessel to be able to speak your truth. Let us know you more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I begin reading our passage, I want to go back a few verses in order to better understand the context of verses 6 
uh, verses, or the first first verses of, of, of chapter 2 in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're um, going to be in 1 John. And I'm going to be starting off in chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. First John chapter 1, verse 5. The Word of God says, Now this is the message we have heard from him and declared, declared to you. God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him out, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now in chapter 2, my little children, I am writing to you these things. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is, is the, appropriation, the propitiation for our sins, and only for ours, but also for the whole world. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. And this is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now I'm going to stop there for just a minute and explain a few things. Now imagine for a minute you're sitting in a court as a defendant. There God is as a judge. The devil is a prosecutor. And Jesus Christ is your defense attorney. Let's say this is the 100th time that, sh that you're being charged with breaking one of the, command one of the Ten commands, man Commandments of God. Now as the trial begins, the devil starts to read off the extensive, your extensive criminal history so that the judge will rule against you so that he will see your guilt and condemn you. After he rests his case, the judge turns to your defense attorney and says, what say you? Then, with boldness and confidence, Jesus states, this person is innocent because she is covered by the blood I shed on the cross on Calvary. I rest my case. Upon hearing this, the judge finds you innocent and immediately sets you free. However, before you leave, your attorney, Jesus Christ, tells you for the 101st time, don't do it again. But if you do, I will be here to defend you again. This is essentially what John is conveying to the believers in Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, John makes it clear that sin will still be a part of the believer's life. But in the following verse, he also makes it clear that there's always forgiveness 
for confessed sin. Speaking now directly to those who are in fellowship with him and with God, John wants the, Christi wants the Christian to understand that they should be concerned about sin. He says, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. In other words, he wants the reader to understand that we don't have to sin. We can consciously choose not to sin and break our fellowship with God. Nonetheless, he states that if anyone does sin, knowingly or unknowingly, we have a counselor, we have a defender, we have a protector with the Father. That advocate is none other than Jesus Christ, who steps in and personally urges God to decide in your favor. John then explains in the following verse, in verse 2, why Jesus comes to the defense of the believer. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now that is a big word, and many of us maybe don't quite understand what it means. Let me try to, to explain it the best I can. The Greek word for propitiation is hilasmos, and means atoning sacrifice. Jesus Christ is not only our atoning, or not only our advocate, who speaks in our favor in the presence of God despite our sins, but he's also the atoning sacrifice for those sins. In the first case, he appears as an advocate in court. In the second, as a sacrificing priest in the temple, in which, which will turn away God's righteous wrath against our sin. You see, as the atoning sacrifice, Jesus satisfies God's just demands regarding our moral failures, thus securing forgiveness. Uh, this is what I've seen in so many churches, that there are a lot of Christians sitting in the churches today who are being weighed down by the heavy weight of conviction. Unknowingly, they allow the devil to rob them of the joy and victory they have in Christ by convincing them that conviction equals condemnation. They forget that Romans 8.1 tells them that there is no condemnation for those who belong in, G in Christ Jesus. Now, if that's you, and you find yourself convicted by unconfessed sin, these two verses ought to give you hope and encouragement. Hope in God's eternal love for you and abundant mercy that he freely offers you. And encouragement in knowing that Jesus is with the Father, advocating on your behalf this very moment. You don't have to remain in a constant state of conviction because according to 1 Corinthians 7.10, conviction is supposed to lead to repentance. And when you're truly repentant, God promises to forgive you and never hold that sin against you, ever. So, again, if that's you, don't wait another day. Receive God's offer of forgiveness today and continue 
running that race that you began, that he called you to run. Now, he then ends verse 2 by pointing out, and not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. Now, although John tells us here that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world, he's not saying that the whole world was automatically saved when Jesus Christ, when Jesus died on the cross. You see, atonement doesn't necessarily equal forgiveness. What he's implying is that the death of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to deal with the sins of the world. Of the world. However, we personally need to understand that, this, that his sacrifice does not become effective until people believe in him. The whole world can understand that Jesus died, Jesus died on the cross. But salvation doesn't come that atoning sacrifice doesn't happen unless you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and until you just believe in him, confess him that he is God. Now, as we move along to verse 3, John specifies the evidence of someone knowing and being in fellowship with God. A simple and loving obedience. However, he makes it clear that if a person claims to know God, yet lives a life of disobedience, that person is a liar and the truth is not in him, or the truth is not, not in him. You see, the distinguishing factor between someone who knows Christ and someone who knows Christ, someone who knows of Christ and someone who knows Christ is their willingness to obey what he says. I know a lot of people, and maybe you do too, that can spit out so many Bible verses that maybe are a walking Bible that can just, you know, save all these verses for every situation in their lives. And they can tell you you're, you're hurting, you're sad, you're upset, you're angry, and, and, you know, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is a Bible verse. I know what that's like. I've met people like that. But when it comes to walking the talk, obeying those verses somehow doesn't seem to apply to them. They have a problem connecting it for, they can connect it for somebody else, they can give it to others, but they have a problem connecting it for, personally, for themselves. On the other hand, striving to live in obedience to Christ leads to a sincere love for God. When we obey and love God, we know that we are in, true, in a true and right relationship with Him. So simply put, love for God expresses itself in obeying His commands. Jesus said in, four, in John 14, 21, Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So not only will obedience lead to the love of God, but obedience will also lead to Christ-likeness. What John is saying here in verse 6 is that anyone who professes the, that they abide in a relationship with Christ must conduct themselves as he walked. You see the genuineness of your relationship 
with an invisible God is seen in your visible behavior. Jesus also said in John 14, 23, if anybody, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. As Christians, the evidence of growth and maturity is marked by your desire and your willingness to obey. To obey what he says, how he wants you to live. Let me repeat that. As Christians, the evidence of growth and maturity is marked by your desire and willingness to obey what he says about how he wants you to live. The difference between someone struggling with a particular sin and a person who used to struggle with that sin is how seriously they take God's word concerning that sin. Let me give you a personal example. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. When I rededicated my life to Christ, I guess I didn't see it at the time. This was in 2000. I didn't see it at the time, but I didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. I didn't think I had a problem with drinking. So I would continue... You know, I continued for a short amount of time just drinking. Now, I didn't know it at the time, you know, but I had, again, I had a serious problem with it, and it needed to be dealt with, me personally. So upon reading this passage, God really spoke to me. He really told me, hey, you know what, Angel, this is, this, you need to address this. You need to get rid of this sin. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. This is the, this, you're in, I was in that situation I was in because of the drinking. So for me, upon reading this passage, the Lord speaking with me, speaking to me, that was, I decided to give it up. I, I, I didn't want to hurt my family anymore. I didn't want to hinder my walk with the Lord. So I just got rid of it. So again, I took God's word seriously. Now for you, it may be something else. It could be some issue. I know people are struggling with gambling. People struggle with pornography. People couple struggle with gossiping or just you know, other issues. But look to the word of God. The, if the word of God is telling you, you know what, deal with this. You need to get rid of this. It's not good for your walk. It's not good for your relationship deal with it get rid of it it's not good for you God really wants to be the Lord of your life he wants to be he wants to be everything for you so if God truly does matter to you and you love him love him with all your heart soul mind and strength strength and you desire to grow as a Christian then my point is obey him not because you have to but because you want to. Your goal should be to look less like the world and more like Him. Now, I want you to turn your attention um, back to our passage this morning and follow along as I read the next few verses out loud. We're in verse 7. 
of First uh, John chapter 2. There he says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that, you have, that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When I first started reading, when I first began reading the Bible, and especially this chapter, these verses, I didn't quite understand what John was saying here. It took a long time to really grasp it, to really, uh, as I studied it, to really know what he's saying. And I hope that I'll be able to impart this information um, so that it's not confusing. That's my goal and, and intent here is to break down these verses so that, again, you, you understand what he's saying here, so that the Word of God speaks to you personally. In this transitional section, John begins with, Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. By addressing his readers as friends, John again reveals, again, reveals the affectionate regard that he has for them. He assures his friends that he's not urging them some new command which they've never heard before. Rather, it's an old one they're familiar, familiar with. One, he says, that you, have, that you have had from the beginning. Now, this beginning he speaks about is a time when the readers first heard the gospel that made them children of God. It was a command to believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ, and obey his commands. Again, I hope you're following here, but he next says, Yet I am writing you a new command. And I know it seems like he's maybe contradicting himself. You see, in order to, again, to understand this, he's referring to something that Jesus said back in John chapter 13, verse 34. There Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. So what John is conveying is that the new command of Jesus was the old command for the author and his readers. Does that make sense? Does that, does that um, hopefully you guys follow. In other words, this was John's way of saying that he's not imposing some new obligation to his readers, but only reminding them of what they'd known from the very beginning of their Christian walk. Now, of this new command, he goes, he goes on to say, which is true in him and in you. Here he's saying that the old slash new command finds its true expression in Jesus Christ and his readers because their moral darkness is being removed and the true light of holiness is increasing. One of the primary indicators that they are in the, that they are in the light of the messianic age 
is through their love for other Christians. This then brings up his next point in verses 9 through 10, in which he begins to examine us according to our love for other Christians as a measure of our walk with God. He wants us to know that just as our relationship to sin and obedience is a measure of our fellowship with God, so, so also is our love for God's people. If we say we're in the light, yet hate our brother, then our claim to fellowship with God, who is light, is hollow. But the one who does love his brother shows that he abides in the light and is not stumbling. John ends this section by affirming three facts about the one who hates his Christian brother. Firstly, he says he's in the darkness. In other words, that person isn't in the light of God's truth. Secondly, that person walks in the darkness. That person is living in sin. And thirdly, he doesn't know where he is going. That person fails to perceive an eternal, their eternal destination. They don't perceive it because their sinful darkness has blinded their moral judgment. These verses challenge us to carefully and honestly examine our own hearts and attitudes to see if there's any hatred coming from us towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think to do this, to, to help us like, just to examine ourselves, there's a couple things that we need to do. I think we need to begin by answering the question, who is our Christian brothers and sisters? Well, according to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 50, it's whoever does the will of the Father. And what is his will? What is the will of the Father? For people to believe in his Son and have eternal life. So our brothers and sisters in Christ are those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this is, this is again, where we have to really open our minds and open our hearts. But this even means towards anybody, regardless of what their denominational background is, regardless of maybe if they have a di different di doctrinal practice, or, you know, how they do certain things. Those whom Jesus has saved are our brothers and sisters. If they can tell you, yes, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am covered by the blood of Jesus, then they're your brothers and sisters. I know, like to be honest with you, I know Catholics who claim that. You know, I know, you know, others from other denominations that have said that. You know, am I one to say, oh, hey, no, you're not because, you know, you follow this denomination and you do these things a certain way? No, that's, you know, that's between them and God. You know, my heart is just to, 
to be in fellowship with them, to love them. You know, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. The next question we must ask is what John meant when he used the word hate. The Greek word he uses here is misel, which means to detest. And the way he uses the word here in the present tense describes an ongoing, intense hostility, dislike, and disgust towards fellow believers. This is that feeling like, oh man, I can't stand that person. I, you know, they, they're repulsive. Every time I look at them or see them or think about them, I just want to throw up in my mouth and I just want to, you know, just, you know, do something to, to hurt them. That's just that, again, that mindset of murdering them in your heart. And again, it, and I'll be explaining here in just a minute, but it's just completely incompatible, incompatible with, with, with being in fellowship with, with God, feeling this way towards another believer, towards another person who has been saved, who has been sanctified, who has been delivered from their sins by Jesus Christ. So now that we've defined who our brothers and sisters are and what John meant when he used the word hate, we now come to the main question that all of us must ask ourselves. How do I feel about that Christian that you may not be fond of because of some reason or another? It could be they rub you the wrong way. It could be because they harmed you. It could be because, you know, they... You know, they did something to really to make you want to hate them. If it's hatred you feel, then these words may be applicable to you. Now you may say, well, Angel, you don't understand what they did. You don't understand the pain they caused me. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand the abuse that I suffered because of them. It's not the point here. The point is, this is about you. This is about how you feel, what's going on in your heart. These are things that we have to consider. These are things that we have to think about. We've all been hurt. We've all been disappointed. We've all been, you know, we all know people that just rub us the wrong way. We just would rather be in a different room. Now, I, I, there's, there's, there's a big difference. Uh, if you don't get along with someone, that's fine. We're, as a family, as Christian brothers and sisters, you know, we're, we're there going to be times we're not going to get along. You know, we're a family. There's, you know, but what do families do? They work it out. Eventually work it out. When my two sons, when they get into a big argument or fight, you know, they, uh, you know, I make an effort. My wife and I make an effort to, they have to, okay, work it out. Fix it. You know, don't remain in this state. Again, there can be times you're just, man, I, you know, you stole me that 20, you know, when am I going to get it back? You know, um, it's okay, it's okay to ask for it, but now, again, when this hatred starts sneaking in, again, that's when, that's when you've got to deal with it. This is how one pastor put it. Sometimes it's easy to think following Jesus would just be easy if it weren't for all the Christians. And many, many Christians live as the walking wounded, crippled by the scars of other Christians, 
other Christians have inflicted on them. Yet, this measure still stands. If we can't love each other, then we have no way to claim our real love for God. Our relationship with God can be measured by our love for other Christians. So here's the fact of the matter. If we lose love, we lose everything. Nothing is left. You may have all the right ethics. You may, have, you may be the most morally upright person in the entire world. But if you can't believe, or you, and you can also believe all the right things and all the right truths, but if you harbor hatred into your, in your heart for another Christian, then all is lost. Personally, I discovered this principle when I was at church. It was, you see, it was a lot easier to speak about love than putting it into practice across the board. You see, it was easy to love Christians, to love the Christians who I got along with. I had no problem, no problem overlooking their faults and shortcomings. I had no problem hanging out and, and maybe they offended me or maybe they, you know, I knew that, you know, we, there was that bond there and there was that closeness. The difficult challenge was practicing that love to those in the church who just rubbed me the wrong way or who had attitudes that were incompatible with mine. And you know those people. I mean, there's just, you just don't have that, there's no compatibility there. You just, you know, you guys don't get along. You know, but it's, you have to be honest with you. You have to be honest with what's in your heart. It wasn't until hate started creeping into my heart that the words in these verses became alive and active. So I was convicted. But rather than staying in that conviction, rather than staying in that state, I repented of my sins. And I asked for forgiveness. And I believed, without a doubt, that I was forgiven. And again, I didn't stay in that state. I just continued. I got up and I just continued to run. I continued in this walk that God has called me in. So now, I, and it's still, believe me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't perfected this yet, you know, but I make more of an effort. Be conscious. Okay, this person just looked at me the wrong way. You know, <laughs> how should I, you know, Lord, okay, just give me this heart of love. You know, let me just continue to, hey, brother, can I just rub your feet? I don't know, you know, I'm just, it's just, a, <laughs> it's just an example there, but, um, you know, we have to be conscious of that, conscious of what's in our hearts, how we feel, that hatred. It can't creep into your heart. What God showed me through these verses was this, that it's impossible to be in fellowship with the Father and out of fellowship with another Christian at the same time. If you guys are familiar with author Warren Risby, he wrote this. The Christian life has two relationships. The vertical, which is the Godward, which is the Godward relationship, and the horizontal, which is the manward relationship. 
And what God has joined together, man must not put asunder. And each of these two relationships is to be one of love, one for the other. So let me ask you, when it comes to love, are you talking the talk or are you walking the talk? In other words, when you talk about love that you have for other Christians, when you are singing about the love you have for God, are you putting into practice? Do you, is there a beef or is there a problem or do you hate a brother and sister in Christ? Are you just talking the talk or are you walking the talk? Are you putting it into practice? Walking in God's light will require to love your Christian brother and sister in spite of whatever pain they might have caused you. Whatever they've done to hurt you, that person will be held accountable to God. That person has to eventually come to terms with this with God, whether it's in this life or in the next. But your job, your, what he wants for you is to not have that heart of hatred. You don't have to turn that pain into hate. Again, you can constantly choose, you know what, if I'm called to love this person, I need to make an effort to love them. I need to make, be conscious about it. This is what God is calling me to. This is God's command to love. This isn't, this isn't a suggestion. It's a command. Let me refer to a passage many of us may be familiar with and just pull a few, a few things, some important points from that passage you can cling to when you've been hurt. And it's that love passage in 1 Corinthians. And those parts I want to pull, it says, there it says, love is patient and kind. Love isn't rude. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. Love isn't rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. Love never gives up and endures through every circumstance. So if we say we're in the light, we will prove it by loving the brethren. There are so many Christians who urgently need to be accepted, who need to be loved, who need to be encouraged. If God's spirit truly lives in us, we mustn't neglect or ignore this important command from God to love those Christians who need it. And yes, as I said, even towards those we may not be particularly fond of. As I begin to conclude, I want to point out the key points in this passage that John says are obstacles to our spiritual growth. And again, these, this is a summary. Keep in mind to keep in your heart, to keep you know, with you, to remember. 
first obstacle, he states, is sin. Sin will keep you from being in the light of God's fellowship. Now again, these are obstacles and how to avoid them. Despair, when you do sin, is another obstacle. It's necessary for you to know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The next obstacle we covered is that next obstacle is disobedience to God's commands. Knowing God produces a love for God expressed by a willful obedience to his commands. And lastly, the last one we last obstacle we covered is hatred for our brothers and sisters in Christ. The greater our love for God is, the greater our love will be for other Christians. Now, I, I, I'm about to end, so if the worship band wants to come and, and, and get things ready, I just, these are my last points here, but I want to ask everyone listening to this message, whether you're sitting here today, watching online, listening online, do you know God intimately enough that it produces a deep desire to obey God and a sincere love for others. You see, there's, and I think I mentioned it before, there's a big difference between knowing of God and knowing God. A person can know God, yet still live, live a sinful life. I'm sorry, let me repeat that. A person can know of God, yet still live a sinful life. However, it's harder for a person to know God and still live in sin. Only by knowing God can one begin to develop an intimate relationship with Him. And in order to know Him, you must know the Son. And the only way to know His Son, Jesus Christ, is by believing in Him. Jesus said, in John 12 44 anyone who believes in me anyone who believes in me believes not in me not in me but in him who sent me now if that's you and you want to have an intimate relationship with God and begin living a life in obedience to him in a minute, I'm going to close here in prayer to accept Jesus. And, and, and you'll have an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So wherever you're at, where, whether again, you're just watching, listening, or just in the quietness of your heart, if, you, if everyone here doesn't mind closing your eyes and, and, and as we bow, prayer wherever you're at just say this from the sincerity of your heart because he knows really what's happening with you and if he's speaking with you don't walk away he's offering you that free gift of forgiveness who knows you may not have that opportunity again 
only God knows the number of our days. So he may be calling you right now to come to know him, to have a relationship with him. And again, if that's you and you are ready, just pray this prayer from, just again, from the bottom of your heart, from deep within your heart. Lord God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I have offended you. I have, I've messed up, Lord. However, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe he died to forgive me of those sins. And I accept that free offer of forgiveness. I believe Jesus, that he is God, that he is Lord. And Lord God, just, I offer myself completely to you. Pour your Holy Spirit upon me. May his home be in my heart from here on forward, Lord. Make me your child, Lord. I accept your free offer to get for forgiveness and thank you, Lord for loving me and accepting me. Now, if you've prayed that, again, welcome to the kingdom of God. You're forgiven. Don't live in a state of guilt. Believe that, again, that he's forgiven you for these things. Those of us that are sitting, that are here, or I just want to just pray this prayer in your heart as well, Lord. I want to come back to you. I'm sorry for this hate. I'm sorry for this anger. I'm sorry for this feeling that I have, Lord, for just feeling this way towards my brother and sister in Christ. And I just ask right now, Lord, that you deliver me from this hate, Lord. Free me from this hate. Just give me a heart of love and compassion. Give me your heart, Lord. Help me see those that have hurt me through your eyes. Lord, I want to walk with you intimately. And in order to do that, I need to get rid of all this junk in my life. He's there for you. He will listen to you. He will love you. He will embrace you. Just come to him. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your word. And we ask that you just bless this next time. In Jesus' name, amen.